Hey, one more thing before you go. James Hepner's business was strong. His wealth was plentiful, and his life seemed all he had wished it to be. Performing life versus living life, though, nearly cost him his business, his investments, his children, and his marriage. The never-ending, hypervigilant, striving to achieve the next level of success suddenly awakened him to the deep emptiness of his current lived experience. James flip-flopped between being restless and bored and anxious and depressed, which forced him to build a new infrastructure grounded upon authenticity and gratitude. He recognized that losses are simply disguised gifts hidden in plain sight. I agree with him. In this episode, we're going to learn how he came to learn that valuable lesson. What's the best way to discover new perspective and how to see your opportunities in a new way to embrace both a win and a loss for equal gain. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is One More Thing Before You Go. Hey, welcome back. My guest in this episode is James Hepner. He likes to think of himself as an artist of experience. His passion is to create transformational experiences for himself and others as a way to fully explore what it means to be truly alive. Fully alive. James is a results coach and a founder of Weekly Wins and Losses podcast and a weekly global community call. He helps people in their journey to embrace all of life both wins and losses equally. He helps you firmly establish the mental and physical courage needed to do difficult things while guiding you to activate your ability to leverage the good news that lies at the heart of both a win and a loss. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I'm honored to be here. (laughs) Listen, I, uh, after uh, kind of looking into your podcast and what you do. I'm very honored to have you uh, join me on this conversation. I think that the journey that you've been on and what your life experience has presented itself is an outstanding opportunity for others to kind of learn, be motivated, be moved forward, and uh, inspire them to be better, better themselves, better ourselves. <laughs> oh, gosh, Michael, that's... Uh... Uh, you just put this, you know, you raise the standard and you raise the bar high. You know, let me just say it like this. I think we might have some fun here because I'm going to have to uh, just reflect back on how I know a bit about you. And of course, your listeners will know this about you, but you're an ex-cop and, and you're not the average ex-cop. And I'm not saying that cops aren't, you know, the wide lens of the cop is a good cop. But, let, you know, let's just say it this way, right? You uh, You have chosen to let life in. And that's a beautiful, beautiful story. A cop that did, you know, didn't just like um, fast cars and shooting people up, and <laughs> you know, but he, you know, he liked fast cars, but he liked to but, sit on a park bench, yeah, park fa- the car, fa- and fast cars meet the a, local. Yeah, fast cars is a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So perhaps the fast, so that when you could park the car, 
you could slow it down and be with the locals. And so, hey, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And uh, I think we're going to have fun here today. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I like to start at the beginning. So let's, let's start there. Where'd you grow up? That's wonderful. Grew up in a small community in southern Manitoba. So for those that are tapping in to this talk from the United States, uh, Manitoba is a, a province of Canada that's directly above North Dakota. So a small little farming community in southern Manitoba. So we're tucked right up against the, the uh, U.S. border. You know, that's um, it's interesting because the I, I've talked to other people from Canada. Uh, all over from British, uh, what is it, um, British Columbia, and from Ontario, and from Toronto. Mm -hmm. So I'm familiar mm -hmm. with those areas. I know you said it's just like right above um, North Dakota. So do that's you, right, and that's where I was raised. But now I live in British Columbia, so I live on the west coast, Vancouver, currently. From there, so you get the same weather and, and everything. Like uh, I, I know, I don't. I've never lived in North Dakota, but I, I grew up in Colorado, and I grew up in the mountains of Colorado. So I'm used to 30 yeah. inch snows in May. Yeah. In June. You know, <laughs> did you experience that as you grew up? Yeah. You know, I, I there's actually uh, back in, I was, I was, re, I was born 1976. And so it makes me 46 now. And um, I got some white hairs coming in and I'm good with that. My wife, apparently we've been together for 27 years. She kind of likes the white hair. So I'm going to let it grow out now. <laughs> so I was trying to hide it by cutting it. She just told me the other day that she actually prefers a little white hair. And so she's never been adverse to like men getting older. So I'm thinking, well, perhaps that's what I'll do now. But when I lived in Manitoba, to your point, we had a snowstorm back. What was it? Uh, my birthday is April 14th. Uh, and I think we had a, well, I think we had a snowstorm in middle of May, which is untypical, but I'll tell you something, uh, weather is pretty extreme over there. You go from, you know, minus, so freezing, so water freezing is zero. We go to minus 40 <laughs> in the dead of winter. Wow. And then in the middle of summer, we go plus 35. So <laughs> you get, you go from highs to lows and then, you know, and then you get the mosquitoes in the summer you get winds and so you know it's an interesting climate so we don't live in igloos we didn't live in igloos there but i kid you not it got pretty intense sometimes so i would think so holy smokes now that's centigrade yeah. or fahrenheit you know what and sorry i, I need to that's get right. this right i i you know i'm not an expert uh in school i never really loved school but when i say water freezes at zero so i, I wish i could but if you just consider placing a cup outside at zero, the water will freeze. Well, we would minus 40 degrees. So if you'd be outside in uh, bare skin for less than a minute, your skin would freeze typically. So yeah, yeah that's, good. that's not that, <laughs> definitely, no. definitely cold, but not cool um, in a different way. Not <laughs> that's cool. right. That's right. Good, good point. <laughs> what was your family like? Oh yeah. Uh, what was my family like? And so are you asking what are they like or what were they like? <laughs> well, they what were they like and what are they like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was raised in a home. Um, my parents have been together forever. The last or two years ago, I went down to their uh, 50th wedding anniversary and uh, they had five children. I was the middle, uh, four, four daughters and one boy. And uh, so you know, my family was, you know, an interesting, um, like I think many families are, there's, there's always something going on. And in our family, uh, let's just say it like this: my my um, my parents were addicted to religion, and a lot of it was organized religion, and they had a strong faith. Uh, my dad was a pastor of this mega church, and uh, um, yeah, let's just let's say that there was a lot of time 
in our family to serve people. And sometimes the service of others uh, left us children wondering where and how we fit in. <laughs> so they were very generous people, very generous people. And my, my dad would sit at the bedside of my mom included at many a, a family or at, at many a, a person from the church or people they knew who was passing away and they would support and always be there in the roughest of times. So my family uh, always modeled forward to me in my life and I to this day still hold that when people have rough time, you know, you got to be present to observe that. And oftentimes pressure will reveal what we can become present to pressure brings us to presence. And sometimes when I remember my dad would and my mom would receive perhaps pressure and it would seem like people were slamming them or whatever, they would choose empathy. And I think they would just choose to see what was behind most of this. And they would see that the people are probably just pressured. And so that would make my parents more present and that would have them drop into just listening to what's really there. And so Bit of, that's a bit about my parents, and my parents are still part of an organized um, religious community. Uh, I'm not part of an organized religious community anymore. I am a believer, but I am now an inclusive one. I don't find transcendence through exclusion. I find transcendence through inclusion. So, um, We have that in common. Uh, you know, right? Yeah, there you go. And so my sisters, what was interesting is... <laughs> My sisters, I had two older ones, and, and the oldest one drew me crazy. Like, she was just about right and wrong. The sister that was right next to her, Cheryl, she was all about fun. And so I loved her. And then my younger two sisters, well, they were just kind of bopping along. Uh, however, the one right next to me in age, she was a bit of a, uh, a bit like me, wanting to test the edges, <laughs> experience what's there. And so I think she, she was the handful for my parents, to be honest. And my youngest, she was just listening to all of what we were chattering about, basically. And so I think it was a typical family. But my family in general, uh, loving, caring, if, I, if I'd summarize, loving, mm -hmm. caring family, a family that really wanted to be about good. But to this day, I still wonder about not questioning if they're doing good, but are you enjoying doing the good you're doing? Right. And so there wasn't a lot of laughter in the home. It's unfortunate, but there wasn't. And, and to be honest, I frankly, when I was a child, um, and I'll just share a quick little story. I remember my dad was a farmer and we 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 go into this implement um, dealership for spare parts for the combine, the tractor, whatever it was. And I remember a gentleman came in, stepped up to the counter, and he was a well-known, a wealthy, large farmer. We We weren't that wealthy. We were a large organization. And this gentleman was just sharing jokes with a guy at the John Deere dealership. And they were just laughing and having a great time. And I remember thinking, this looks like fun. But I was just a little tyke and I'm sitting there looking at my dad and I'm going, how are you observing all of this? And my dad felt very uncomfortable. And I don't think the joke was off point or is affecting his views as much as he just didn't know how to respond. And so my dad found a way of exiting the building, basically. He got his parts and left. And, uh, and so I onboarded, when I was a child, I onboarded much of that. And so when I was with, I wanted to be around people that were a good time, but when I was around them and they really started laughing, I remember getting really nervous because I could laugh for about two seconds and then I'd want to like shift into serious. <laughs> so, so it was really kind of fascinating. And so what happened when I met the woman that I'm with 
and have been, like I say, for 27 years, she's a laugher. She likes to laugh at everything. Like when we were dating, I'll never forget, we were like play wrestling in the basement and her knee comes up and it cracks me in the forehead right above my eye and it slices open the skin, breaks it free and blood comes out and she starts laughing. And I'm thinking, what manner of silly is this? I'm thinking, well, you know, she's just having a good time. And she looks at me finally and she goes, hey, don't worry about it. Let's go upstairs. Let's get you cleaned up because the mother was upstairs and the dad was upstairs. And so we walk up. And her mom looks at me and she does about 10 times the laughter of my wife, Meg. And I'm thinking, is this a crazy house? But to make a long story short, let's just, you know, I'm just going to fully reveal. Uh, it took me about five years to, after we were married, and we dated four years, but five years after we married, until I finally, finally um, gave way and became more comfortable with laughing. And now laughter, I mean, it's at the center of my life. So, Yeah, that's an interesting, very interesting story. Crack your head open and laugh at me. Thank you. <laughs> and then you go up to mom and she's laughing. It's like, what have I walked myself into here? And right? I, yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Did you go to university? I didn't go to university. What did you want to be when you I grew tried. Up? Yeah, I tried for two. Uh, I, I said I was going to try university for two weeks, but I lasted two days. I was honestly, I was. And I think I can, many people can relate. I think we have intention. I remember when I was in grade eight, they asked, what do you want to be when you're older? Well, my dad was a farmer and a pastor. Well, I was a stutterer, so I, I couldn't really speak very clearly. So I'm thinking, well, that's out of the cards. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, my dad's a farmer and I don't mind helping him. And I, I feel good driving a tractor and being in the mm -hmm. dirt and, you know, being part of the ecosystem. Right. And, and uh, so wanting to say farmer, but realizing everybody had these professions that they were audibly <laughs> throwing up, doctors, you know, all these people. And I remember just thinking, what do I want to be? And I just wrote down fireman. <laughs> Not like I wanted to be a fireman, but I like the color red. I still do, as you can see. Right. And fireman, so. Fireman. Uh, see, we, we say yeah, yeah. we we the cop to business. It's farmer. I mean, real low farmer. <laughs> I'm a cop. I'm a police officer. He's a farmer. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So, so may, maybe you and I have something in common. So my wife, her earth element is water. So I wear blue because I love blue, but I love the fire. So I do both together. And I, when I think about a cop, the cop is like red and blue lights flashing. So I don't know if we got this going on, it works. Here, right? But it works. It works. I, I will preface, I, I will say this out loud. I have my, I have a family. It's a blue and red family. Um, I, I still have colleagues and, uh, uh, relationships with people that I work with and people here in my co present community because we moved from Colorado to Arizona and uh, that are cops and firemen because um, and firefighters, mm -hmm. I should say, not just firemen, mm -hmm. um, because we're, we're one big family. Uh, we are all working the front line. We are all in the middle of it and uh, we all had each other's backs. Mm -hmm. So I joke, you know, but in, in the firefighters, they'll joke too that we're better than cops and cops will joke we're better than firefighters. But in reality, we are all one big family. Yeah. Well, and it's probably just a healthy, you know, a healthy little poke poke. It's, it's you know, interesting. I had uh, a gentleman um, on uh, a short while ago on my show, and he is a F-15 fighter pilot. He's flown combat operations oh, very cool. in different parts of the world. And what's fascinating about him is he's a trainer now, a fighter. You know, he trains fighter pilots to do a great job. 
right? And to do your reads properly. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and when you've got these unfriendlies around you, you've got to be doing reads plus the amount of unfriendlies. And so just the way he goes. But what was really fascinating, he talked about the movie Top Gun. And I said, did you see it? And he laughs. He says, are you asking a question? And I said, well, okay, you saw it. How, how was it? And he said, well, let, let's say it like this. We filled, and how I think it was two or three theaters. And he goes, and the other ones. And I said, which other ones? He goes, well, see, we're not the ones that land on aircraft carriers. That's them. Like, who cares? <laughs> he was, who cares? So kind of to your point, of, he goes, you know what? We're the, the planes that land on, like, the earth. Like weird. So he was kind of, so, so I totally get it. Yeah. 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 That's funny. That's funny. That's, that's, I, that's like, uh, I started my career. I was joined the Navy in the beginning and, uh, you know, Navy, if you're in the army, I grew up in an army town. I grew up in Colorado mm -hmm. Springs. It had Fort Carson, which is a huge military base. We also had Air Force Academy and NORAD and the aerospace command. So most of that's air force and army. So, you know, Navy, to them, Navy's like, you're a what? You know? <laughs> but it, you, obviously you go to California, or you go to the East Coast, you go to Connecticut, then Navy superior. And if you're Army or Air Force, it's like, you know, kind of a thing. So, yeah, my brother, my brother retired off of, don't ask me why he did this. He joined the Navy, but he went into submarines. So no. he spent a career in submarines, which probably explains a lot about him today but we'll leave that for another conversation <laughs> uh, so yeah that's funny <clears throat> so <clears throat> so you, what did you end up in life when you started um you didn't go to university you did not become a firefighter um where'd you go from there i think i um well because i'll just preface uh, your question with i'll just enter into a version of an answer the best i can here and the best i can muster forward here so the woman that i married she was an adventurer and an adventurer though not one that preferred business her mother owned a few businesses and her mother was never around so her and i had some other stories my dad was really never around and so but anyway her mother wherever her mother went she would strike up conversation about business and so <laughs> jokingly the other day I had a client and the client was he's going through specific things and he's wondering how to properly approach the opposite sex and do it properly and he's a, a younger gentleman I don't coach a lot of younger gentlemen but anyway so I'm chatting with him and uh, and so I finished the call and, and we're having dinner last night and Meg goes how was your day and I and of course I'm a you know I'm a professional I don't reveal who I'm talking with or the subject matter as much as to say though that hey listen this gentleman is just looking at how to properly authentically connect with someone in a way that would be non-intrusive but would nicely um you know express interest but interest in a playful appropriate way you know and so <laughs> so I, I you know i was just going through a few renditions it wasn't what i had said to this person mm -hmm. but i was going through something playful and then my oldest son rowan starts laughing and he says Oh my goodness, like, isn't it supposed to be simple? Don't you just like walk up to someone and just say, hey, and, and then Meg says, this is actually, this is actually how dad asked me out. Dad said to, dad called me up and said, hey, listen, I'm wondering if you'd like to go to the movies, <laughs> you know? And so what's interesting is I take her to the movie. And so to answer your question, I take her to the movie and we walk up and back in the day, it's, you know, you walk into the theater. Um, and of course, you know, there's a reel that's spitting. 
and the, the spinning reel reveals the movie on the screen. So we're going to this older theater at the time, and they still had that spinning reel. And, uh, and we stop, of course, at the concession stands. So I'm ordering popcorn and different things. And I'm uh, you know, a ripe old, what is it, a 20, 21-year-old guy. And she's you know, all of 17. And I'm standing there. And the owner of the establishment it just so happens that he's inside the concession area. And I've been looking at approaching him, but I haven't been able to find him at his business or find him wherever he says he's going to be. And, and I'm recruiting. And at the time, I had a small little newspaper. And it's like a, like a small coffee shop talk paper. And so I was looking to see if he'd want to be in as an advertisement in the newspaper. And so I said to Meg, hey, honey, um, you know, if you like to have it, because I see I could see she was kind of uncomfortable. I was picking this up. And I said, if you'd like to have a seat and I said, if, if you like, I can walk you to your seat or our seat, but I'll be right there. And she goes, OK. She goes, no, I'll just go find my own. So she walks to her seat and I talk to these, this, this guy and I get my popcorn and my drink. And uh, needless to say, I sit down beside her and she's not too talkative. Our first date. I'm like, this isn't so interesting. <laughs> What's happening here? Anyway, we leave the theater and she says, hey, listen, if you want to do business, go ahead. But just let me know because I might not be that interested. <laughs> well, well, but and so, right to the point. Right to the point. And, and so we talked about we got right real like she's really real. I'm pretty real. So we chatted about it. I say, listen, business is at the heart of who I am. And I said, we're going to have to find a way of making this work. But I hear where you're coming from. I'm going to make sure this doesn't destroy our life. And so um, so what did I do? Right. And so I chose business, but I basically said, I will be present with you. She's someone that loves to be around people. She would she would you would find her just a pleasure to be with. Like she's a sensitive, kind, but not overtly sensitive, very playful little thing. Like she's a firecracker. Right. So. So I ended up, we got married back in 2000. I ended up starting a company, a company where we built uh, custom ready to move homes and we shipped them to the United States and different provinces. I never built a product in my life. Uh, on the farm, I developed allergies, so I couldn't be a farmer. And so I decided this is what I'm going to do. And really, the reason that I chose it is because the challenge was large enough for me to get excited about. If it's not risky enough, I'm not willing to do it. And so, uh, so we ended up doing that. The bank account got fat pretty quick. Uh, it wasn't because I was so smart is is basically because my honesty, if I'd be honest, <laughs> I just if I didn't know something, I told people, I don't know this. Let me get back to you on it. And um, and so we went from nothing and an unknown in a small community, uh, at least in the business arena, in the spiritual space, we, our families, very like everybody knew us. Right. Um, but in the business community, nobody knew of us. And so all of a sudden, you know, I had all these houses that were pre-built and and uh, just ended up being, I mean, there's grace, there's there's luck, there's a whole bunch of all of that going on. Uh, all that I can say is, I, I to, to this day, I mean, though I have shifted my ambitions, I'm not quite as, if the doors close, it'll knock it down. I used to do that. I'm like, doors knocked down, or doors there, I'll just kick it down. I'm not like that anymore. I learned a few lessons, let's say it like this. And I learned that, you know, you can't step on people. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so the one thing that I still am about is I like going to the edge. But now I talk about further, faster without hurting anyone, including myself. And I clearly heard a bunch of people not being aware of it before. And I, the person who I hurt the most was myself, to be honest. So, yeah, I, you know, it's we, been two and a half years where I checked out. No. We all have lessons to learn like that. 
I think we we all sometimes it takes us a little bit to reflect and look back on and decide whether or not that was a positive action or a negative action and what the consequences of those actions are. Um, you know, we all are human beings, and sometimes we have to uh, be uh, made aware mm. of those yeah. mistakes. You know, um, I like you. I like how you put it. My life worked, and then it didn't. Mm. Um, so, how did you evolve from that? What you know, I know that you you have a you had a strong business going. Um, did you have anything that was missing within within that mm. arena? What put you on the path where you're at now? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of questions, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I love that. It's so good. Yeah, I, you know, this is. By the way, I always appreciate being interviewed by people who have done life a little longer than me because it seems like, yeah, there's just always this depth, and this uh, and this tender curiosity and just desire to be playfully. Yeah, I just absolutely love it. So when I have people like you that I get to talk with, it's just. It's fantastic. So thank you. I just really love that. You're welcome. I, I appreciate saying that I've lived longer than me instead of saying, well, you're a really old guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, no. So I appreciate that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly, right? Um, it, it, life worked until it didn't. I think kind of time you asked earlier about the home I was raised in. My dad had a demand of us on life and so did my mom and that's to live a good god-fearing life like that was their idea of a good time basically fear don't do the wrong thing sort the good from the bad use that as your ideal and so those are the demands that were put on us however and listeners you can probably attest to this we as individuals we all have individual desires we have unique desires and your desire will be different than mine and so we are both demands and we are our desires. When we're raised as children, <clears throat> we observe them from our parents. And the influencing aspect of demand and desire is desire. Though our parents say, please do the right thing, we as children, we actually adhere to and follow the, the parents' desire more than the demands. That's just how it works. It always works like that. So. When I married Meg and we started our first business, one of the things that I desired was a nice fat bank account. Where'd that come from? Well, I'll never forget. There I am driving in the backseat of my parents' car with my four sisters, probably no seatbelts at the time. (laughs) You know how it is. You're all just in there like sardines. And it's a Sunday afternoon. My parents' way of living was Sunday you didn't work. And Sunday what you do is you go to town, you get an ice cream cone, and maybe you drive around the neighborhood and then if you spot somebody in a combine, heaven forbid, they're, they're, they're harvesting on a Sunday. You know, my dad would say something like, oh, and these people, for example, the one gentleman that had said the joke at the John Deere dealership, the one that was a wealthy farmer, he was the one combining. So my dad would drive by and he'd say, well, it sure looks nice to have a combine like that. But it's too bad you got to, apparently you got to work on Sunday now if you do that. So his demand was, don't do the wrong thing, work when you're supposed to work, keep the Sabbath holy. But the desire was money. So I was raised with the desire of money. And so life worked until it didn't. It worked when my bank account got really fat. And I basically proved to myself, and I basically proved to my dad, that's that's kind of why we do these things. I proved to myself 
thinking it was just for me, but it was probably more so to prove to him that I could, I could have the thing that he's always wanted. And I remember I bought him like he worked with me for a while and I, I, I purchased him a 1949 restored Ford pickup truck is fully restored. Beautiful. I delivered it to him on father's day, had it on the back of a trailer and delivered it over. And it was really a fascinating play. And I felt like life's working. Bank account's great. We got the vacations, got the new house, got the toys, got the things, and it was all paid for in cash. And then all of a sudden it didn't work anymore. We had one child and then we had the second. And on the second, that's when it didn't work anymore. And my wife, and I guess in our home, we had more of a traditional relationship. I would be the worker and she would be the one that was working at home. I would work outside the, the home and she'd work inside the home. So I always, I've seen her as equal value as me. Like she has her throne, I have my throne. I don't subjugate her to like, you do housework and because that's who you are. You're just a housework human. That's not how I see it. We just ordered it that way. She felt comfortable staying home with the kids. I felt comfortable going to work. So that's what I did. And I'll never forget my days turned into working days and then working day and night and then not having any break on the weekend. And I remember observing that she would be raising the kids and she would be building these beautiful relationships with them and talking with them. And there I was thinking that I was bringing value. And of course my value was measured on the external. And then I thought, well, yeah, she's doing the internal work, which is beautiful, but it sucks that I can't also just be like, it seems like she gets to be with them while she's working with them. And so the story of my life, basically it all came ahead when, and I had suffered from depression for years and years and years when I was in school. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had this, I had this really vicious stutter and uh, I, I, um, I always doubted myself and I had depression through because of a lot of these things. And one day I come home from work and I see her sitting on the porch with the kids and she's just laughing like she is and having a good time. And I, of course, this has been adding up this, this not resentment of her life, but kind of being like, how is it you get to both be and do? And here I am just bringing externals. I'm bringing home like sacks of potatoes and you're creating amazing things from it. I love it. But how is it that you get to enjoy all of this? And of course, what happens is, and this has been my style. Now, I still to this day do this. I, I, uh, before I hurt people out there, I'm going to hurt myself. And, I, and I, I don't know if I was shown this when I was a child or maybe I was the only boy. And so I just projected things into myself. But I just said to her, I walked up to her, I said, it's back. She goes, what's back? I said, depression's back. And so let's say it like this. This time it reared its head. And this, this happened in 2008, by the way. Harrison, our youngest, was about a year and a half at the time. And we had just tested him. Um, he has high functioning autism. So he was diagnosed with that. And I remember thinking to my, and I received an audit from the government. So the whole bunch of things happened the same time the audit arrived Harrison was diagnosed with high functioning autism 2008 so the market of course we're in the home building industry and land development took a massive hit I'm beginning to wonder what is my value and of course I'm not able to deliver externally like I did before so here I am thinking who am I am I a fallacy and 
I chose very selfishly, and I think like you've shared earlier, you you too have had your experience with depression, right? You you once were in a wheelchair and uh, you know, life kind of got to you, you know, the victim mentality. And I'll tell you one thing for me. So speaking of one thing, and before I could go anywhere too quick, I went straight to the bedroom and I laid my ass down and I thought I'm going to just sleep this through. And how often isn't it where sleep could do this? It can reset us. It's beautiful. We wake up new, a new day. But when I woke up from my sleep, it was like five, six o'clock in the afternoon. It was dinner time. I didn't really want to go out and see the family. So I thought, why don't I just lay here some more? And what started as just a subtle little idea of let's just be with my own pain. Let's feel the misery, which there's nothing wrong with experiencing the feels like, please don't hear me say this. Like we must feel because if you don't feel we're dead. So laughing and crying, both are amazing. I love to do both. If I don't have a laugh, a good one <laughs> and a good cry in one day, I don't feel like I've really lived. So both bring me deep joy. I don't have to convert the cry into like, I'm utopic. But anyway, back to that narrative. What went from an evening of sleeping turned into two and a half years of sleeping, 18 and a half hours a day. Wow. Sedating myself in melatonin, getting into the car and going through like a drive through and getting uh, gravel tablets. I don't know what gravel Same tablets are. Yeah, gravel just to help with with uh, nausea and uh, you know you know often they help you uh, they put you more into a sleepy state <clears throat> you know and so for two and a half years 18 and a half hours a day sleeping i'd be in the bedroom for that amount of time and then the times that i said i'm going to go to the office i would get in the car and i'd try to encourage myself again convince myself you know james you've thought it through long enough this must mean something um you probably you should be further ahead in your thinking so i try to create thinkingness away from the problem basically that never really works that well so i would get in the car i'd say to the honey hey honey i'm gonna go to work and i'd feel all disheveled i look white as a sheet she said are you sure you're okay i go to work say i go to work but i take the car and i'd find this back road someplace and park it and pull out a blanket from the trunk and i'd sleep in the back seat popping more melatonins wow that's a journey so it it worked until it no longer did. And I remember I didn't want to leave the existence of this earth. Like I didn't want to like take care of myself. I didn't want to end my life. But I'll tell you something, I didn't want to be here. So the only way that I could think of doing it is just numbing out. I think a lot of us do that. I mean, it, it's a situation where we innately, when we get to a certain point in our lives, um, that something changes dramatically. Um, like you said earlier, I, I went through it too because I, I was a sergeant. I was um, ready to take the lieutenant's test and move on up the line. I watched people that work with me, under me, uh, and above me move, continue to move up the line. And that made me more angry and depressed and resentful because I watched these guys that I trained are now lieutenants and captains and commanders and you know, assistant chiefs and chiefs. And uh, it created an environment uh, similar to yours where I just kind of sat around watching TV and, you know, I didn't really want to do much and uh, I was angry and I was resentful and, you know, I wouldn't even watch, wouldn't even watch cop shows, you know, because it, it kind of, now that's pretty bad, cop won't watch cop shows. Um, 
because it just reminded me of what I lost. And then I was angry at the situation and angry at, you know, where it had come from and why did, why me? Why did, why did this happen to me? I went through all of that. Um, I did not go through what you had done with the, with that for a couple of years where you kind of slept basically, you know, hid, hidden yourself away in, in sleep. Um, how did you pull, how, how'd you recognize that enough to pull yourself out of that to say this, you know, this is not, you know, where I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think I had to finally come to a place of just observing that my constant trying to think my way away from something, meaning trying to eliminate thoughts, typically it doesn't work. You got to find a way to utilize them. And so I, I remember distinctly, there's this moment when I thought, okay, gee, I've done this for two years now and I haven't seen my family. I haven't gone to family gatherings. I haven't seen my friends. Like I was, I was a recluse. Like I had, I had squirreled myself. People were contacting my wife and saying, can we come see him? And she'd say he prefers not. And people would come into the foyer and drop off food or whatever. And I wouldn't come out. And so after about two years of this, like that's, that's 700 and whatever it is. 20 some odd days, you know, I think a person, we as humans, we all have a design and a, and an appetite for variety. If things stay consistent too long, we desire for something to be different. Or even if, if you think about a marriage relationship, you go through different seasons, not saying you have to get on the bus and go find another partner, but you go through different seasons and all of a sudden you're like, now marriage will be like this for us and so you go through these different iterations there's different seasons we desire to go through like the winter the spring the summer the fall just like nature this is what we humans do right and so um i just remember that i began to finally become okay with seeing that i had become addicted to success and the addiction by me saying that i need to get rid of it so there's the elimination of trying to get rid of that made it worse. So two years was just going in circle, basically. Then I finally realized that we're actually all addicted to something and we get to choose what we want to be addicted to. And what we make choice of is going to give us and others a great experience and or it can give us the opposite. It can be a humbling. It can be a, a you know devastation experience. And so I remember, I remember thinking to myself, and what, and what kept me kind of from about year two to two and a quarter year, what kept me kind of playing with the idea but not going for it is I felt really guilty, of course. I mean, you see how you checked out of life. You know, you've made it hard on your wife. And one day she comes in the bedroom, she says, what's happened to our relationship? And she was my little angel. And we were like these lovers we'd been. And um, finding use for what's happening in your life. You know, why is it the good news that I was once addicted to success? Why, why is it the good news for anyone that they, you can clearly see what you're addicted to? Well, if you don't see clearly what you're addicted to, you can never make choice what you might want to shift and become addicted to in a different way. Like currently, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to just enjoying life, not in a hyperbole way, but addicted to feeling and empathizing with where people are at in life. So I'm, you can see I'm, I'm, I'm using how I was raised, but I'm now furthering and I'm saying, listen, 
The good news is I was addicted to the desires of becoming successful. Well, what would I like to become addicted to that would be a desire that would take me and if others want further and faster without hurting people? Because I clearly had chosen addiction that just hurt a bunch of people. I didn't intend to, but it did. And so I think what really got me fully committed, I'll say it like this, I'll never forget. I went to, and at the time I went to a Tony Robbins event. It was a date with destiny and it was relationship day. And so these events, by the way, they're six days long. Relationship day was day four, I believe. And remember, I typically slept 18 and a half hours during this time of my life. And so at these events, if you're lucky, you sleep two, three hours a night because it goes from early to late. Like I kid you not, it just, it's a long day. And, and so I'd done this for three, three, four days in a row. And so it was relationship day. And of course, relationship is what my, my wife, Meg and I are all about. Like this is where we're in, a, we're in a relationship. It's a married relationship. So she gets up out of the bed in the morning. She says, okay, honey, today's relationship day. It's going to be a fun day. And I said, hey, honey, you know, I'm really tired today. <laughs> And she says, oh, okay, what, what would you like to do? And I said, you know, I wouldn't, I would prefer if I could just sleep for part of the day, if maybe not a large part of the day, I looked at her and she says, yeah, you do whatever you want. She says, it would just mean a lot to me if you came down, but you do what you want, baby. So I remember she went down and I stayed in the room. I closed the curtains. I took my stash of melatonin, my gravel, and I ingested a whole handful. I thought I'm going to fall asleep pretty quick and crawled under the blanket. And it was comfortable for about five seconds. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. I've been a taker for two and a half years. She's saying it would mean a lot to me if you would just come down. And I said, I can't do this. I jumped out of bed. I ripped those fucking curtains, pardon the language, but I ripped those fucking curtains open. Put on my pants. I don't know if I comb my hair. I was probably whiter than a sheet times two. I walked down downstairs and I entered the room. And Tony Robbins was at the front of the room doing this intervention. And all I remember is I opened the door and I remember him saying, depression is the most selfish thing ever. Now, please listeners, don't have me here say that there are some people who have clinical depression. It's different. But depression typically Typically, and not for everyone, but typically, it's something you do, it's something you bring to yourself. It's something that you lower your chin, you lower your voice, you know, you get into a depressed state, you bring it, you do it. But he just said, depression is the self, most selfish thing you can do. And I remember I was looking for my group. I think our group was purple. And I was trying to find the purple bandanas and I couldn't spot them. And so I just walk along the outside and I'm looking for people to help me. And, and he just walks directly towards, you know how it is when you're at an event when the speaker talks and you think he's talking to you, <laughs> he was talking about my life. He's probably talking to everybody, of course, but he was just going on and on and laying, let's say coals and heat and just putting more into the fire. And I'm going, brother, do you understand what my life looks like? And you're saying this about my life. Finally find group purple, I'll sit down and all of a sudden the whole, the whole audience just erupts forward. And anybody has gone to these events, you know, it's a pretty safe environment for feeling emotions. Like people feel a lot over there. And it's a safe environment for it. So people are cheering and then clapping and then crying and then clapping. It's just this expression. And I'm going, man, I'm feeling it all. I'm feeling it all. And then he goes, okay, just stay standing. And now look at your group members and do some work together. And I remember going, I'm not standing. Cause I was just sitting there going, oh, I don't really feel like, I don't know what I need to do. 
And uh, I was just really reflecting what Meg had said and like, why am I here? Am I even pro properly dressed? <laughs> and all that I remember feeling is everybody started talking in the group, but I wasn't. They looked at me and said, James, would you like to join us? And I thought, here's my invitation to experience a deeper part of my inner world, the very thing that I said that I wished I had that Meg had when she was being with the kids and doing with the kids. And I thought, no, I don't have the ability, so I just chose to sit. And in that moment, a song started playing. And it was just like it broke. The freaking shell of the ego just broke. And they say if the shell of the ego breaks once properly, it never has to do that again. And I got to my freaking feet and I joined and it's like, you know what? They never gave me sympathy. I fit right in. And from that moment forward, my life has been like, honestly, I have an unshakable love of life. I love being here. Someday I'll die, but I love being here. That's amazing. What, that's, what a brilliant opportunity to, wake, uh, to awaken. Mm -hmm. That brilliant. You brought tears to my eyes right here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, brilliant opportunity that you were given. And uh, it, it's... It's nice that you had the universe whisper in your ear to get your ass out of bed. Mm -hmm. True. A hundred percent. That's grace. Luck. Well, what did I do to yeah. contribute to that? That was just grace. <clears throat> I know that you spent the last decade designing your life of gratitude and being grateful. Uh, I'm assuming that it started from that point. Yeah, that's, that's where one chapter of my life closed and the next one opened. And uh, let's just say I have felt way more tension, way more things have coalesced, come together at the exact same time as what eventually or what initially threw me into that dystopic mess. Remember I said it was the audit and my son being born, high functioning autism, the market crashing, all kinds of things. Uh, and so all that I can say is I just realized, so the second chapter of my life, I now look at thresholds of life and I see them as gifts. Instead of when I'm being brought to a place of going, oh my goodness, there's so much pressure here, what do I do with it? Instead of saying that pressure I need to try to get rid of and get rid of and get rid of, I now utilize the pressure because pressure is what helps us be present. If we have pressure, we can either explode outward with that pressure or we can let it pressurize us from within and actually the human body there's something there's a term called tensegrity and tensegrity is simply where if you just consider your skin as the shell of your being and your skin allows for everything to stay in place if you didn't have skin it just plop out everywhere and so your skin nicely holds within it and allows for things to stay inside in form and so what the skin really does is it, it creates an atmosphere or a shell for pressure to exist now what's interesting when you think about what's at the core of your being it's your skeletal system and consider this listeners your skeletal system is free floating inside your body not poking through your skin or even up against so much but it's free floating inside of a pressurized area that your skin is holding. 
So the good news in life is we all actually want pressure. Without pressure, there's nothing. So we can appoint pressure in our life to be the enemy and try to get rid of it and then put ourselves into trying to talk our way out of things constantly, meaning never facing the reality of what life is. The consciousness observes life through the lens of, am I winning or am I losing? This is just the, you know, the primary personality, the, the you know, entry level survival being, this is what it does. Do I get more or do I get less? That's reality. The only thing is, if we do dual living, where is it, am I winning or am I losing? I have to choose, is it good or is it bad? We're throwing yourself into a hellish existence. We're going to suffer if we do that. In the middle, and it's not to take the feel of the cry or the laugh away, but in the middle lies a gray area, which, by the way, funny little, I, I, you know how it is sometimes, you choose names for your children. Harrison, high-functioning autism, who, threw, who helped throw me into to get finally to see myself in life and transition me from that way of living to now here, his second name is Gray. So it isn't black or white living. It isn't wins or loss, good or bad. Harrison Gray, hep, Gray. The Gray is the gain. You feel it all, meaning... When you feel like I lost something, like, you know, you know, Michael, when you felt like you lost, the reality is you lost something. Instead of trying to convert it to positive, you lost that. But when you lose something, what do you gain? Just like when you win something, what do you gain? Both have equal prize in your life. Both bring a rich, rich, rich nugget. And so we can choose to eliminate things in life or utilize. If we eliminate, then when pressure comes, we're going to try to distract ourselves, numb ourselves, become addicted to numbing. Who isn't addicted to numbing? Either pornography, either success, and there's nothing wrong with success, and there's nothing wrong with intimacy. But numbing through something, through fantasy, is, is you're not playing with the realness of life. When you really get okay with the reality of life, then all of a sudden you begin to realize there's no more need to fantasize, to wish it was different. You begin to only desire to be where you are because where you are is reality. And reality provides enough pressure for you to be so present, for you to see both a hidden, so the seen thing and the unseen thing. And who doesn't want to see more? What allows you to see more is when you hit that threshold moment Instead of exploding outward, you allow this pressure to go within, not for self-blame and condemnation. I've been there. But to let it expand your shoulders in real time and watch yourself unfold. Who doesn't want to resurrect from an old life to a new life? Who doesn't want to ascend from an old way of being to a new way of being? Ascension happens once you've resurrected to something several times. Then all of a sudden you transform into another being. And the way that that all comes is when you look at, when you are invited to experience. So listeners, when if you think about your life, where are you? Not if, where are you in your current life facing something that is stress testing your ability to hold it? You feel like, oh, I don't know if I can hold it. Like James's story. Honey, it's back. Depression's back. You're like, oh, I don't want to hold this. Where do you feel that where you don't feel like you have capacity to hold it? Then ask yourself the question, what's the truth here? Have I ever held this before? And the answer is likely going to be no, because you've hit threshold in a new way. 
Then ask another question. Is it true that because I haven't held it before that I don't have the capacity to hold it? And why not instead say, let's see? Instead of saying no, say, let's see. Let's see as in like, in that moment, recognize that your being wants to take you to a new place, to experience something new, to have you, instead of through fear, project it outward and shatter people's lives out there and explode forward. You use that energy from within and you just let it pressurize. Think about when you're pressurizing. Why isn't it the good news? Like a diamond comes when it's pressurized from all sides. That's the good news. And instead of, instead of desiring to like, again, go out there and fragment and shrapnel everywhere, let it serve you to like focus on what is it that I can do? What is it that I can do? What is it I can do? And of course, we're not messing with grace because grace is something that is, it's undeserved favor. It comes in your life and it goes in your life. It, you know, you can't, you can't increase the amount or decrease the amount. Grace is grace. We're talking about the distinct things that you have control over. Pressure provides you that space to really focus on what can I do here? What can I be here? What, what can I maybe not say here? What can I just be like present with? What can I just feel and not be worried if I have a depressed moment? There's nothing wrong with having a depressed moment. But having a depressed couple of days, now we've got issue. All emotions are safe. But that's something we have to experience in life. Because if we're still trying to eliminate emotions, we're going to be bumping into those emotions somewhere. And if we don't make that emotion safe in your own life, you will find it very hard to have a wide view and a wide experience of life. Very profound, everything that you just said. And actually... You know, um, my life reflects upon that as well. I can validate what you said because it's interesting how our children sometimes have to open our eyes because we've closed them and we don't allow ourselves to see what's in front of us. Um, your son, my daughter, you know, um, convinced me to make a choice and to reinvent myself and to give me the opportunity to say I can break out of this and break free of this and that I do have the ability to take what I learned as a law enforcement officer, what was ingrained in me that you never give up and that you always move forward and that you um, don't succumb and that you overcome, adapt and overcome. It allowed me to take that and recognize that I had that within me to move forward and to walk out of the wheelchair and to walk her down the aisle. At the same time, it also allowed me to reinvent my life and my purpose. And I share this with other people on this podcast as well. It allowed me to reinvent myself that in a way that I would never have been able to do as a law enforcement officer. I contributed to society as a law enforcement officer, but I contribute <laughs> to the world from this podcast and this platform to, to speak to people like you who share wisdom and experience and life journeys that inspire people and motivate people and encourage them. And, and as you say, you bring a vibrant energy towards life, which you can see it. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, you need to watch this episode on YouTube as well. You can see it in your face when you talk about it. You get excited about it. You exude a positive aura around you that just, just lights it up. So what you what you preach is what you believe, um, and you walk you walk the walk. You don't just talk it, which is a very positive thing. Uh, 
What brought you to, to, to want to help other people move forward in that way into coaching and so forth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I, I think it probably had something to do, you know, it's funny, right? <laughs> I, I've been, you know, interviewed on in many people's show and, and great profound people, but you know how it is sometimes we're on a talk and the person asks a question and somebody may, somebody else may have asked me that exact question, but the way that you're bringing this forward, I know prior to us hitting record here, you said, uh, you mentioned about unfolding, we get to unfold in life. And so one of the things that I always appreciate most is I get to experience what it looks like to unfold in a brand new way. And so here I have you, <laughs> you know, I have you sitting in front of me and you're asking me to unfold in a new way. And actually what I just realized because of this preference, I forgot what you asked me. Could you ask me again? <laughs> I asked you what brought you forward to the point where you're at now, where you want to help other people um, bring that energy uh, within themselves and recognize it uh, to, to be the coach that you are right now, because, because you, you coach people. So what, what brought you to this point? What motivates you? Know, you? Yeah, I would say the clear answer for that comes from a place of mm, deep, deep connectedness to <coughs> what's currently in front of each one of us. And what we do with that will shape our life. And so I had done my life where if I got through something, meaning if I overcame, and I'm thinking you're probably not talking about overcoming through conquering uh, in, in, in a way that doesn't integrate. You're talking about a way that I would have to align with that. So my answer is learning to utilize. And I know it sounds like a broken record, but learn to utilize life. And when life happens, that we don't be like, I've read these books, I've got to these seminars, whatever, and I broke through in spite of these things. And I know it's just a play on words, and I don't want to split hairs here, but I do this because I want human beings to realize, when you listen to your story, Michael, when you listen to mine, all of this happens because of our last life, or because of the life we've experienced. And we can say in spite of, but the only thing is when we say in spite of, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for the next time something happens that's difficult, we're going to end up resisting for a while and then finally breaking free again. And honestly, I wasted two years of my life. Nobody has to waste life by trying to resist. Let the good news be that we get to wrap ourselves around nature and not the other way around. Nature doesn't say, (laughs) it doesn't respect the other way around nature says i am nature and you're going to live the most gracious loving life if you find a way of wrapping around what i currently give you and saying i want what i have meaning i get to participate with what is here now and so here's the thing we're all constantly invited to participate with something in that moment when i checked out a life i just said i choose not to participate with it and there's that critical moment and so my core passion is to take people with any, any scenario they got going on and not turning what seems like a negative to positive because it was never a bad thing to begin with. But being with a person, empathizing, and then connecting with that person through story and then future pacing it and framing it where they can see that actually all of life will be where do they have the ability to onboard both a win and a loss in a healthy way 
Because unless you do, you're never going to take courageous action to do new things because you realize the probability, the inevitability of a win and loss, it's there. And so to clearly be with people and be like, you have been given this. I wasn't given that. Your wife is lowering into the grave in a coffin now. That wasn't me. That happened to me maybe five years ago. But that's your, your story is different than me. And so you get this now. And so I'm with you here now, and we get to utilize this and participate with this. And let's stay in the moment. Let's stay with this, and let's let this be the news that it wants to be. Don't convert this into bad news. We have become so proficient at turning news into bad news, just all over the place. Instead, why not write? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's a, I think, and I use myself and you you as well. Sometimes we, in my position, in, and I can relate my journey in regard to that. This isn't my story, but with my journey in regard to that, to validate what you're saying, um, I was able to recognize, finally, open my, open my eyes and recognize that w- everything that I had experienced up until the time that my life changed in a very dramatic way, that everything and all those experiences that I had that I was missing, that I thought I had lost, I still had them with inside me. Mm. And that those inside me allowed me to transform my life into something that I'm doing now. It has brought me to where I'm at. And it allowed me to take what I had learned, the experiences, the conversations, the feelings, the anger, the resentment, the depression, and be able to have conversations with people like I do much more effectively and efficiently than if I was not saying not because I would have made a great police chief, but it, 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 I wouldn't have been the same. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've been able to reach people in a wider audience. I'm more relaxed. I spend more time with my family. I appreciate my kids more. I appreciate my wife more. You know, it is, it is a journey is a life journey and it allows a pause to recognize that the experiences prior to me reaching this point in my life were part of my life in creating who I am today. Mm-hmm. You said that so eloquently. So, I love that. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just said, I just want to validate everything that you just brought forward. So mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the fact that you, I know that you, and we'll talk about it here in a second. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's talk about how people can find you. And, and I know that you have a podcast. So let's talk about briefly about the podcast as well um, and how they can get to it. And I know that you have an offering that uh, you would like to, uh, to present to the, the listeners and the viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me just, if you don't mind, I'll quickly tap into what you were just finished saying. How isn't it so liberating when we can bring purpose to our pain? We get to decide if, we get, if, if, if we're going to be about wasting life or utilizing life. And your story, what you just, how you, like you said, the validation of, but you know, there's evidence right there all over again, right? <laughs> when you get to lean because of your story, not in spite of, because of, <laughs> it's like you get to, you get to bring purpose to your pain. So That's yeah, profound. thank you. Yes. Yeah, thank yeah. You. yeah, no, yeah, no, lovely. It's awesome. So yeah, people can, um, you know, there's currently, there's a few different ways people connect with me. I do um, group events. So these are live um keynote speaking events retreats 
But more specifically, and probably your listeners uh, will be interested in, in you know, one of two ways. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, and I also have a virtual weekly wins and losses global call. So firstly, the one-on-one -on -one coaching is a strategic platform. And what we do here is we look for results. And because we look for results that are individual to you, we go super deep. And those of you, by the way, who, um, who are feeling something now, who are deeply hungry for that ultimate personal, intimate, transformational experience, I challenge you to, to reach out to me. We can just have a little discussion because one-on-one um, -on -one coaching is just about you and I. And because of that, we get to go really deep. We get to get beneath the surface of your individual, sorry, of your individual life experience. And we get to align with your strengths. And that's the key thing. So your strengths. And from that place of your strength, we get to sculpt and craft and we get to design a personal success and fulfillment formula that is unique to you. Again, this is for those that are super hungry. And so let me say this, there's nothing wrong with success, but we have to mature our inner achiever forward. The second way people can get a hold of me is through the online offering. This is a gift for everyone. And one-on-one -on -one coaching won't be for everyone, but this is a gift for everyone. And so this is a, a virtual experience, and I just call it the virtual weekly wins and losses global call experience. Honestly, it's I, I don't know of a better way, and of course, I'm a little biased, <laughs> but uh, I don't know of a better way to bring raw truth to what your last week is really all about. And this is a no-charge call, and it happens every Friday at noon. And, um, you know, jumping onto this call will deliver for you just this really interesting experience as you'll be able to clear the deck of all the unhelpful stings of last week's losses so that when your new week begins, you're best able to launch out of that gate invigorated and ready to take bold, courageous action, you know, that forward action that you want, but without the unhelpful side of hesitation and delay. So I invite each one of you to show up and share as you wish, um, or you simply observe others share a personal win and personal loss that stood out for them from the past week. I invite you to come, master the art of being prepared for anything, win, lose, or draw. Come and learn how to authentically celebrate both a win and a loss in real time, every time. So for live events, keynote speaking, group one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, you can reach out to me as what's shown here on my website, www.jameshepner.com. And the spelling is J-A-M-E-S-H-E-P-P-N-E-R.com. And for the no charge weekly wins and losses call, uh, and that happens every Friday at noon. Simply go to www.weeklywinsandlosses.com. And so spell it the way that it sounds. And that's weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y-A-N-D-L-O-S-S-E-S.com. So weeklywinsandlosses.com. Outstanding. And your podcast is available from the website as well and on um, most listening platforms, correct? Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's also entitled Wins and Losses. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes, including the uh, weekly call out, make sure those get added to the show notes so that uh, everybody has an easy way to get in touch with you and to connect with you. Um, James, thank you very much for uh, joining me today on this conversation. I really had a good time. I really appreciate your wisdom and your experience. Well, you know, it, is, it was an absolute honor to pitch and catch with you. And, and to be honest, I unfold typically based on what, what's in front of me. And so <laughs> who you are, my friend, is rich. I got to experience saying things in a few different ways, and I got to feel a few different things. I've had these feels before, of course, but I get to feel things in a new way. So you have a unique way of drawing. Um, and again, you know, this tenderness to the surface, 
and just the realness of it all. So the one little thing that I just noticed is when I said uh, the podcast is weekly uh, or wins and losses, it's actually called uh, weekly wins and losses with James Hefner. So there's another person who has weekly or wins and losses. Mine's weekly wins and losses with James Hefner. So there you go. Thank you so much, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure. I would do this anytime. And by the way, I'm going to invite you on my show. If you'd like, I would be honored to host you. I would love to be on there. I would. Uh, we'll make arrangements soon to get off of here. Um, James, this is one more thing before you go. So one more thing before we go. Mm -hmm. Do you have any mm -hmm. words of wisdom you can share? Oh, my goodness. I would say um, there is, hmm, I'll leave it with a single line. What would happen, listeners, and this is part of my value set, if every if you decided that nothing traps you and everything frees you, what would happen to your life if you made that decision? Again, it was an honor to be here with you. We'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.